You are listening to the Post-Atomic Horror Podcast with Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham. Episode 20, covering Metamorphosis and Journey to Babel. Set your transporters to hello. Wow, really? Yep, that's what I'm going with. I've decided to just uh, take those back, take all those expressions back. All right, well then let's set phasers to fun. Yeah, no, 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 you're doing it, you're not doing it wrong enough. Oh. Like, uh... Set phasers to great good times. There you go. Like, I I wrote a recent uh, entry in our uh, blog, which both of us now have uh, added stuff to. Yes. Um, And I titled it something like, Set Phasers to Some Words I Just Typed. (laughs) I've just decided that I'm going to embrace those ridiculous Star Trek cliches that everyone uses, but uh, take them back. Make them my own. Yeah. So take that, um, years upon years of cliches. So, Matt, we had a Warp 2 adventure of uh, great uh, great times this week. Of high caliber. <laughs> no, actually, a few weeks ago we mentioned um, whatever the combination of episodes we had. I think it was Mirror, Mirror. And, and um, uh, the rest. The Changeling. Yeah, the Changeling. Yeah. Um, we we decided that uh, we would never get another week quite that good, and uh, I, I was wrong. Yeah. Because this week, I don't know if it's better, but it's equally as good, probably. Yep. These two were just fucking amazing together. Um, and I knew the second one was, but I didn't realize the first one was, was nearly so good. So actually, the one I stuck you with ended up being quite good, too. <laughs> this good was your you. great revenge. <laughs> oh, Matt will get stuck with metamorphosis. Nothing good about that one. No, see, I knew it was it was average, at least. It wasn't the apple. I knew that for a fact. <laughs> well, no one deserves that. No. And I got it, so there you go. <laughs> but uh, why, don't, why don't you tell us a little about uh, metamorphosis? All you? right. Yes, I will. Metamorphosis. Okay, Kirk, Spock, and Bones are transporting Federation Commissioner, because apparently they have those, Nancy Hepburn, to the Enterprise, where she is supposed to prevent a war. Uh, she also needs to be cured of extremely rare disease called Bitches Syndrome, which will kill her quickly while making her ex- as annoying as possible for all around her. While in transit, the shuttlecraft Galileo is pulled down by- to an extremely alien world, a word which here means purple. The planet's sole occupant is Zephyrin Cochran, creator of the Warp Drive and not surprisingly played by Farmer Hoggett from Babe. Cochran has been kept on the planet, alive and de-aged by an electric jello mold, which he calls the Companion. He has brought the, the Companion has brought the crew to the planet so that they might befriend Cochran and keep him from dying of loneliness. Uh, this does not fly well with Kirk, who does what he always does, which is try to kill the Companion and, when that doesn't work out the way he wanted it to, reason with it. Spock discovers that the Companion is sentient and in love with Cochrane, something which creeps Cochrane right the fuck out, as it has been intimate with him many, 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 many times. McCoy reasons that, the, that Cochrane may just be angry because this is his first experience with the thrills of interstellar fever. Uh, Hepburn, who is extremely almost dead, now finds this attitude deplorable, mar- remarking that she, has never, that she has never felt love and, uh, and complaining to the bitter end. Kirk, meanwhile, tries to convince the Companion that it and Cochrane can never be together as they are too different. Companion disappears and reappears again as Nancy Hepburn. Apparently has possessed Hepburn so that they can both live. Cochrane looks forward to showing her the galaxy, but the Companion cannot leave the planet as she will soon die. Kirk relies on a simple solution that has served him well in the past. He leaves, promising to never tell anyone that he has met Cochrane. Explaining what happened to the important commissioner, or where her body may have gone to, does not seem terribly important to him. 
this was surprisingly good. Like, yeah, I was actually pretty shocked. It's a very, it's a very small story. It is, but not in a bad way. It's just, no. a, it's a character piece, and it's, um, it's the three best guys down on a planet dealing with something. And um, mm-hmm. I prefer this version of Zephram Cochran to the one in First Contact. I've mentioned that before. Yes, that is one of the problems I had with First Contact was. Not that they use Zephram Cochran, and you know I don't nitpick about the tiny stuff. I don't care about uh, continuity details, but he was just so not the same character at all. Yeah. Broad character strokes are things I do care about, and he wasn't even remotely the same. Who are you kidding? You just hated his little leather hat. Well, I, I wasn't a fan of the hat either, no. <laughs> and, uh, and and the way he told Riker to, uh, the, the what was it, uh, pig, piggy, pig, pig? Yes, exactly. That'll, that'll do pig. <laughs> That's the thing. Drawing a blank. It was like, set phasers to pig. No, what pig ahead? No. Wait, no, he found a web that said some pig in it. That's the thing. Yeah. But, uh, no, I, I like this guy. He's, I mean, he starts out as, uh, I was mentioning this to Amanda, that this ended up being a better episode than I thought. And she's like, isn't he just a boring, doughy white guy, like all the boring, doughy white guys? I was like, well, he started that way. But the more they fleshed him out, he, he was kind of a bigot. Yeah, that was actually a really cool take. Like, and it wasn't it wasn't poorly written. He was intentionally no. written as kind of a flawed character. I was surprised that slipped through Roddenberry's "Everyone in the Future is Perfect" thing. Yeah, because I'm the glad guy about it. Yeah, when the guy realized there, there's a big plot point mm-hmm. where they realize the companion's not just friends with him or keeping him as a pet. Mm-hmm. It's not just another Captain Pike situation again. It's in love with him, and it's actually a woman. Yeah, and he's like, "Whoa, no, what? Whoa, ew, no, gross." I can't. Yeah. I can't be in love with that thing. It's yeah. Even though he's clearly floating. been enjoying himself for however hundred, you know, hundred and fifty <laughs> years or whatever. That's just uh, you know when he realizes that oh that's ew gross. I, I thought that was kind of cool. Yeah, and it's nice seeing sort of uh, like our crew reacting to that. You know, in the future, apparently everyone is completely cool with that. Right, and if you're going to make a future where it's, it's ideal and there is no more racism or bigotry or whatever, which I don't believe that anyway, but okay, let's say for the sake of argument that there is, it's nice at least to sh- to go to another planet or deal with people from the past or whatever so at least they can react to it. Yes, exactly. And, and there's your tension at least. But uh, it, no, Is no one cool. else put off by the fact that I've apparently been banging this thing for 150 years? No, that's cool. Yeah, Bones especially. He's like with his body language and kind of his facial. It's like, uh, yeah, what's what's wrong with that? Hey, <laughs> we all swing. What's the problem? <laughs> Look at those colors floating around in it. You saying you wouldn't tap that? <laughs> I haven't seen a purple like that since Rigel Seven. Oh, yeah. Um, but you the know, best gave, Rigel <laughs> gave uh, gave each of the guys something to do. Mm-hmm. I mean, Spock had some stuff. I, uh, I I I made the remark. Um, I like it. Bones and, and Spock are always at each other's throats, of course. But when they're in crisis, when there's mm-hmm. a da- you know dangerous situation, they put all that aside and they're like this fucking well-oiled machine. And I love that. Oh yeah, I love that you can see why Kirk keeps these two close to him because it's not just because they're his friends. It's not just because they're his conscience. They're really good at their jobs, and seeing them work together is just awesome. The sound of you two bickering really helps me think. I just want you to know that. <laughs> well, you know, I've I've read sort of. Um, I guess, intellectual um, treatises on the topic. <laughs> Just, you know, they're supposed to represent, like, uh, the id, the ego, mm-hmm. the superego, or something like that. I mean, I don't go that deep with it. No. But it's definitely, like, one is one extreme, one is the other, and Kirk has to be somewhere in the middle. Which I'm Yeah, exactly. Right. And um, 
in this one, it's just nice to see that's not all that they're good for. Like there were medical stuff that, that there were medical things that bones mm-hmm. needed to take care of. There were science things that Spock needed to take care of. There was some overlap and they worked together really well. I love that. Yeah. It was awesome. And, uh, overall, like you mentioned, um, the, the purple planet, it's, it's just another set. Like they didn't go on location, but something about this one looked so much better than say in the apple or something like that, where yeah. they really did it, did it, uh, something to make it look a little more exotic and a little more like an actual planet. Yeah, it looked very alien, which is sort of a nice change from the traditional, you know, swamp planet or uh, forest backlot. Yeah. So, no, that was nice. And, and all it really was was purple. But that's, yeah. that's all you need. I mean, yeah. you know. Sometimes all you need is purple. Right. Like that Beatles song says. Uh, which one? All you need is purple. Oh, of course. Um... No, I, I, I really enjoyed this one, and there's a lot of standing around talking, but yeah. if in the right hands, and I don't remember, oh, uh, Gene Kuhn wrote this one, actually. Guy yes. who produced the show, and I think he went on to help with the early season of Next Gen. Um, the good Gene, that's right. We called him the good Gene. Yeah, good Gene. <laughs> yeah. Good um, old good Gene. Gene! Um, Many <laughs> people will get that. <laughs> um, no, it's... It, it, obviously the concept was in the hands of a good writer because it was really our three guys interacting with mostly just Cochran, occasionally mm. uh, Hedford slash Hepburn, <laughs> Hepburn. in her headscarf <laughs> with the head head uh, head trauma. Yeah, um, <laughs> she was she was attractive at least. She was a bit bitchy, but uh, I. See, I only found myself actually being attracted to her when she stopped with, like, when the companion per- possessed her. So yeah, possibly see, I, I just have a thing for women whose voices echo. I loved the voice of the companion. There was something really, I don't know, sad and mournful, and I, I it, and it was supposed to be coming through the Universal Translator, but something mm. about it just sounded really alien to me, and it wasn't that unusual. But something about it was just kind of sad, and yeah, it was it was really good acting on whoever's part that was. I overall, I really enjoyed this one. Yeah. And they, occasionally they'd cut back to the Enterprise, and it's very rare where we see guys on a on a on an away mission, and they cut back to the Enterprise, and we're like, go back to the planet. We want to see what's happening there. But uh, really, I think they just wanted to show, hey, these guys aren't idiots. Like, Scotty's yeah. going to, you know, he lost his guys. He's going to look for them. Like, uh, you know, just let's just mm-hmm. check back in with them and assure you that he can do his job without Kirk uh, breathing down his neck. Yep. More of Uhura doing something. Yeah, which is always was, nice, yeah. and no checkoff, as I recall. Yep, no, we were we had a checkoff light week, and in my episode, uh, all he really did was take orders, and he didn't have time to make stupid comments. So uh, it's a good checkoff week all around, actually. Yep, thanks, checkoff. Feck off. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, anything else about this one, or is it? I think that's it. I mean, it's really this one is a lot about mood and a lot about yeah. character. There's not a lot of like, not a lot of plot going on, and that's not a complaint. Mm-hmm. It's just there's not a ton for us to discuss because it's, it's just kind of being there in the planet, in the mood, get, getting inside these people's heads. And uh, it's a good time. I did find interesting uh, in the original shooting script, uh, it was supposed to be uh, Scotty uh, who fell in love with the companion. Uh, not I as like good. The idea of, no, no, I like the idea of someone being out of time and all that yeah. sort of thing. And I like the idea there was a, they, they, there was a hint. They didn't explore this too much. They explored this a little more in, in Next Gen with the other Cochrane, mm-hmm. as I'm going to call him. <laughs> um, no, he's Cochrane, and I have to accept that. <laughs> um, 
no, they, they explore this a little more with him, but the idea of what his discovery, because this is the guy who discovered warp. Yes. This is the guy who basically figured out the technology to make the stars accessible to, to humanity. Mm-hmm. And they hinted at the idea that he could go out into the galaxy and see what his invention, his discovery, you know, has, has led to. And he decides, well, I'd love to do that, but I'd love to stay with this, this woman now that she's a woman. Mm-hmm. Not before, but now I will. <laughs> but it's, it's nice. It's a nice thing to say, this guy did something amazing and you wouldn't have Star Trek without him. Yeah. And it's neat to, uh, to sort of hint that he would, you know, he would love to see the, the, the result of all that, but uh, he can't. Which is nice. Yes. All right, moving on. <laughs> uh, so my episode was Journey to Babel. Is it Babel? 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 I think it's Babel. Babel. Okay, very Babel good. sounds better. It does. Um, every now and then an episode comes along where I just have to stop for a minute, turn to Matt, and say, I fucking love Star Trek. This is <laughs> one of those episodes. So the Enterprise is taking a group of diplomats to the planet Corridon, where they will decide if said planet gets to join the super awesome exclusive club that is the United Federation of Planets. Or maybe we're still calling it the Ultra Space Probe Space Corps at this point, I'm not sure. Among the delegates is the ambassador from Vulcan, the distinguished centenarian and noted Earthwoman lover, Sarek, who, oh by the way, is Spock's father. Not to mention being possibly my single favorite supporting character in all of Star Trek. Here we get the groundwork for the tortured father-son relationship that will play itself out through the movies and well into next gen. Sarek wanted his son to become a scientist. Spock wanted to join Starfleet and be a scientist. But listen, if Lost taught me anything, it's that everyone has daddy issues and Spock is no exception. His father is disappointed in him. But his mother's quite proud and also willing to give Bones all sorts of ridiculous dirt on her son. (laughs) And see, any other writer would just write an hour of quirky awkwardness with the Serex, but this episode was written by DC Fontana. That lady knew the score. There's this crazy diplomatic intrigue, heated political discussions and attempted assassination. There's some Vulcan kung fu called Tal Shia. And there's possibly the biggest cast any single episode of this series ever saw in the form of the various alien dignitaries. And while it ain't exactly the bar scene from Star Wars, they get a couple of million points for predating that by 10 years and also having about 180th of the budget. Among those aliens are a few founding members of the Federation, including the Tellarites, played here by the fearsome pig people of Paraguay, and the Andorians, a blue-skinned race of classic antenna-headed Martians from the 60s, who somehow look kind of neat instead of completely ridiculous. A bunch of really cool stuff happens. I don't mean to gloss over it here, but really, a play-by-play of the awesomeness could take weeks. And by the end, we're left with a fake Andorian, a dying Sarek receiving a blood transfusion from a reluctant, duty-bound Spock, and Kirk commanding the ship during a space battle with a knife wound clear through his ribs. Seriously, if there's anything more badass than that, I want it rounded up and shot immediately. Yeah. This was such a great fucking episode. It had everything. It had oh my god! Stuff. It had action. It had laughs. It, it had a, a really hot purple chick. It was a tour de force. Yep, it was the tour de France. <laughs> I really had really Spock enjoyed. on a bicycle, <laughs> uh, and uh, Sarek and Amanda riding in on a tandem bicycle, of course. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed this. I I liked. They did the best that they could on their on their budget, like I said, trying to flesh out the fact that, that the Federation uh, is comprised of several different alien races. Mm-hmm. They did the best they could, and, and it did, you know, it made an impact on me. I, I realized it's not just humans and humans with pointy ears and green blood. There's, no. there's other guys. There's some decent-looking aliens. Well, not yeah. decent-looking-for-the-time aliens in this. 
Well, like I said, the Andorians somehow look cool. I don't get it. Yeah. Because they're they're they got blue skin and and really antenna. Like, do they go beep beep beep? Like it's it's a little ridiculous, but it works. Yeah. And, and the, Hungarian the accents. What's that? And Hungarian accents. I think that's what it was. Yeah, they like casting like weird Eastern European uh, yeah. actors, like they did with the Vulcan priestess, where it sounds really exotic and you can't quite place the accent. I think it's Hungarian. Where are you from exactly? Latveria. <laughs> Wait, Latvia? No, the Damn real it. one. Oh, Wait. Here we go again. Damn it. Um, and then the Tellarites, which are a good idea for a race, but mm-hmm. uh, mostly they just wear uh, pigman masks that don't quite fit. Yeah. <laughs> but An still, extremely tight jumpsuits. Yeah. But but still a cool idea. Also, the Tellarite ambassador is named Gav. <laughs> so uh, apparently he's Irish and coming on the show in a few weeks to review Trouble with Tribbles with us. <laughs> so look forward to that, Ambassador Gav. I want I want to know what you think of the trouble with Tribble Cell. <sighs> I thought that was the Andorians who sound like that. Oh, that's right. Yeah, no, this was this was just phenomenal, and yeah. uh, it was paced really well. Like at every act break, there was sort of escalation in the danger, where things just got more intense each time. Mm. And like I said, by the end, you just had all these things spinning at the same time, and it didn't feel like stacked with too many things. It felt really perfectly layered so that oh my god spock's in trouble and sarek's in trouble and kirk's in trouble and possibly the whole ship's in trouble and it was it was really masterfully pulled off it was just just so cool you know like this is one of those ones that you just show to people it's like this is why star trek is awesome plus there's a like i said there's a lot of groundwork here sarah yeah the sarek spock relationship is a cornerstone of of star trek like, in the Sarek episode of Next Gen, it, mm. it comes back. In uh, the Spock episode of Next Gen, it comes back. And then it sort of comes back around in a different way in um, in the new movie. Yeah. Where now it's a little different because in the new continuity, uh, his, his mother's no longer alive. Spoiler alert. <laughs> and uh, so things kind of maybe will go in a different direction and maybe they won't hate each other for 200 years, which is yeah. nice. But uh, no, there's there's a great thing like through the movies even where Spock is starting to become an ambassador, and you realize he's all he's doing all that to please his father because that's been that's been this subtle thing force in his life for his entire life that he can't make his father happy, and so he becomes an ambassador, and he's still not happy with him. Yep, I just I love that, Sarah, you jerk. I don't know if they planned it out that way, but it really plays it, off as this huge arc that takes 200 years to play out. Yeah, if they didn't, it was, you know, one of the most awesome coincidences ever. Yeah, no kidding. But uh, oh, the, the guy the guy who plays Sarek, Mark Lennard, who unfortunately yeah. passed a few years ago, just fucking phenomenal. He um he played the Romulan commander um in late season one. Yeah, Balance of Terror. Was. Balance of Terror, thank you. Yeah. Um, he will play the first uh, bumpy-headed Klingon briefly in the motion picture. Ooh. Oh, yeah. When we really, I didn't the, know that. Yeah, when we see the redesigned Klingons with the movie budget. Oh, um, that's awesome. Viger shows up, and they briefly show some Klingon ships fighting it, and the, the lead uh, captain is uh, is Mark Lennard. And then he comes. I back hope my Klingon son fa- someday follows in my footsteps. Ah. <laughs> but then he also comes back as Sarek in. Uh, Three and four and I think six. Yes. Yeah. He's just he's he's a great actor. He was he was really great. Um and and Amanda, his his wife, um a lot of fun. Like yeah. she played it exactly the right way, which is I'm proud of my son. I'm tired of these two guys bitching all the time and uh oh by the way, Bones, let me tell you about this and this. <laughs> 
she they really sell like she really works as a human married to a Vulcan ambassador and she like I'm very always, patient. Yeah, it it and that comes up in uh, the Spock's world novel a lot too. Just Oh yeah. These two really seem to work like work really well together. Yep. And um there's a lot of um like and there's a lot of feeling behind that that finger thing they do. Yeah, there's a there's a thing where they they each extend two fingers like a peace sign only the the fingers are closed. Yeah. And they touch all the time. Speaking of uh finger signs actually, there's a great little <laughs> Very subtle comedic uh, comic relief moment at the beginning where they're all wearing their dress uniforms to to welcome the delegation and they're standing there and Bones turns to Spock and he says, how's that Vulcan's uh, hand thing go again? And uh, Spock shows him and uh, Sarek shows up and he tries and he can't get it right and he just kind of <laughs> puts his hand down again it's like we would all do. Like it wasn't, it didn't feel like acting. It felt, it just felt so natural. <laughs> oh, I fucked that up. I better just play this off and be cool. Uh, it was a handshake. Yeah, Hi. so, hey, how's it going? I'm Leonard. <laughs> but no, it was, it was a lot of fun, like I said. I, I really <laughs> I'm Leonard, how, I'm Nero. <laughs> I really like how how um, the Bones sort of seized on his mom. But also, you know, again, when it came down to um, we got we to gotta save Sarek's life, you know, yep. he was all business and everything was cool. Like I said, the cast was huge. Like, Chapel had some stuff to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the, the aliens. And I'm just, I mean, I think the only character I didn't see was Sulu. But, uh, yeah. Everybody else was here and, and doing stuff, and it must have cost a fortune just for, for extras. Well, they I was reading they completely blew their budget. It's uh, like the reason Sarek and Amanda show up on the shuttlecraft is because they could use footage from, uh, I think, uh, the the shuttle stuff from Metamorphosis. Oh, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, and didn't they go to Vulcan to pick them up so they could use the external shots of Vulcan if they wanted to? Yeah. If they cared about the consistency of what the planets look like, which I yeah. don't think they did back then, but the... The restored versions do. It's just like, well, we can't afford to do transporter effects this week, so uh, let's take them in a shuttle. <laughs> well, I mean, it was, it, what do they call it, a bottle show where they just uh, shoot yeah. on the existing sets? It, it was one of those. Like, they didn't leave the ship at all. Mm-hmm. So that must have that must have helped. But yeah, really, I, I mean, we've, we've said this about a couple of episodes, and this will probably end up in my, like, top five overall. Oh, yeah. This has everything. This has everything you want in Star Trek. There is, and there's no shortage of action either. Like, there's a lot of character stuff, but there's also a lot of, like, there's some hand-to-hand fighting. There's Mm -hmm. some actual space battles. Neat little uh, gyroscope-looking ship that they fight. Just a little bit of everything. Kirk's weird choice in martial arts. Yeah. Kirk, Where he attempts to jump off the wall and land on the Andorian assassin with his butt. That's his move, man. That is not a, that, I don't know, this might be the first time we see it, but it's not the last time. <laughs> that is Kirk's move. Jump off the wall. Uh, Captain, you know, I could teach you some real kung fu. No, that's oh, all right, no. Sulu. I know Kirk fu. I, <laughs> I think you must have learned in zero gravity and then not realized that <laughs> you, you can't actually repel off the wall in normal gravity. Why isn't this working? I don't know. But, I mean, you know, there was some fighting. And uh, we've given Kirk a really hard time because he's written as sort of a, a dick. Like, not a great uh, not, not a great manager. Very micromanagey and um, a bit impulsive, of course. Yep. But but here he had a truly badass moment that I can't say anything bad about. He was stabbed through the chest with a knife. <sighs> that was so cool. And because Spock was too proud to uh, to relinquish command be- to, to help his, save his dying father, mm-hmm. Kirk was like, well, I better just... Make Spock think I'm fine, so I'll just limp up to the bridge for a minute. Oh shit, a crisis! I guess I have to stay here. 
Yeah, that was, and it was played well. Like I got, I got yeah. to credit. He actually, like, there's still a bit of wincing going on, and there's still there's some great stuff. Mm-hmm. Just all around phenomenal. I we need to use this opportunity now to talk uh, briefly about a, a one particular Star Trek novel. Yeah, we've been meaning to talk about this forever. Yeah, this this book um, is one I was trying to convince Matt. Look, I know what I'm talking about with Star Trek books. Read what I tell you. And he's like, <laughs> I don't know, man. I, I've read a lot of crap. No, trust me. Read this one. And he did, and I was right. Yeah. Um, the, the book is called Federation. Mm-hmm. It takes place just after uh, Journey to Babel. Babel it takes whatever. place just, just after this episode, so he's still sort of he's still injured from the knife. But it mm-hmm. also incorporates uh, elements from Metamorphosis. So it's yeah. nice that, that we have a chance to talk about this now. Um, it has Zephyrm Cochran, and it has a story involving Zephyrm Cochran that I prefer. That's another reason I don't care for uh, First Contact, because the story in here is much better. Mm-hmm. Um. And it's it's a it's a crossover with next gen, but it's done in such a way that it doesn't fuck any continuity up or anything. It's it's really the I think the best story of the the two crews that I've ever seen. Oh yeah, definitely. Like people have attempted to bring them together in different cheesy ways and different mm. oh imaginary story. This didn't happen. This could apart from it conflicting with um uh, first contact first contract, it could totally fit into continuity. Like it wouldn't ruin anything. Oh yeah. To say that this story happened. And it's written really well and it's written really respectfully. And uh, they use this nice device um, where uh, Kirk in Star Trek 3 melds with Sarek when he's looking for Spock's uh, soul, Katra, whatever. Mm. And uh, Sarek melds with Picard in uh, the, the episode Sarek. And so it's great. They kind of, Kirk and Picard are, are in a situation where they're not meeting face to face, but they're both recently, like they both carry this sort of echo of Sarek with them. Mm-hmm. And that's that's kind of a thing that links them together and, and Picard feels like an echo of him and it's it's just it's really cool. Yeah. It's so great. And absolutely uh, just check it out. It's I, yeah, I would say if we were to pick one single book. Yeah. Especially if you're more of a next gen fan than an original series fan, this has the characters you like in it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's great for both. And it does contradict actual canon, but so what? It's, yeah. Who cares about? Canon? Well, that's the only story. time Trek's ever done that. So, yeah. <laughs> all right. Any anything else on this one? Or uh... mm, I think that's it for uh, Journey to Babel. Okay. So uh, we're back to metamorphosis. Yes. In the future. In the future. In the future. Uh, basically, everyone is okay with anyone having sex with anything, which sounds perfectly all right to me. <laughs> And and for me, for Journey to Babel, in the future. In the future. future. Well, like Matt said, anyone can fuck anything. Especially if anyone is Sarek and anything is Earth women. More on this later. (laughs) Oh, Sarek, you have Earth fever. He so totally does. (laughs) Uh, You got a a quote for Metamorphosis? Uh, Yes. Um, This is from the end of the episode when uh, Cochran decides that he that he loves the companion and is going to stay with it, and Spock gets his two cents in once again. I can't leave her. I love her. Is that surprising? Not coming from a human being. You are, after all, essentially irrational. Very nice. Yes, I will enjoy any time Spock sticks it to anyone. <laughs> well, mine is actually the, the reverse. It's Spock getting it stuck to him. Um... <laughs> Spock, I've always suspected that you were a little more human than you let on. Mrs. Sarak, I know about the rigorous training of the Vulcan youth, but tell me, did he ever run and play like the human children, even in secret? 
Well, he, uh, he did have a pet sailor he was very fond of. Salad? But it's sort of a, a fat teddy bear. A teddy bear? Excuse me, Doctor. It has been a rather long day for my wife. Captain. Ambassador. A teddy bear? Not precisely, Doctor. On Vulcan, the teddy bears are alive, and they have six-inch fangs. So, yeah. I, uh... Mm-hmm. I, like I say, there's there's a lot of moments like that. I know I kind of fixate on that. There's a lot of great stuff that happens, but for some reason, I I just love Bones using Spock's mom against him. That's dirty pool, but I love it. Yeah, I just love the idea that McCoy finds out that uh, that uh, Spock's mother is going to be on the ship and just thinks to himself, jackpot. <laughs> I'm too old. My parents are dead. <laughs> so, yeah. So, that's great. Um, uh. So yeah, we're um we we mentioned this before. We will be taking pre-orders for post-atomic horror uh logo shirts. That yep. will that should be up on the site as this episode posts. Go to mm-hmm. postatomichorror.com and there should be pre-orders for that. Once we pre sell 12 pre-order shirts, we will order them. That is uh it's just a thing where I have to buy them in bulk. So I'll sit on your money, don't worry, I'm not going to steal your money. Mm-hmm. Um Actually, that money's going to go to the guy, uh, Vishal, who uh, designed our logo, because yes. he deserves a couple bucks. He absolutely that. deserves it. And while you're at postatomichorror.com, we have started uh, blogging there a bit. Um, yep. Matt wrote some stuff about the more recent books. Mm-hmm. I did a little thing uh, the other day about um, some some recent headlines. Uh, and, and we'll try to pop in there from time to time. It's not, it's not a regular thing. No. But when it occurs to us, when we have something to discuss, we will uh, we will be on there. Yep. So thanks for listening, and uh, we'll be back next week. Stay, folks. The Post-Atomic Horror Podcast is published weekly and is available via iTunes or on the web at postatomichorror.com. This program is a co-production of Ron Algar-Watt and Matt Robotham, and all original material contained herein is their intellectual property unless otherwise noted. All clips and references from Star Trek and related media are used without permission from CBS, Viacom, and or Paramount Pictures. Fair use is assumed for the purposes of review and parody, and the aforementioned co-producers do not receive any form of profit for this effort. Listener feedback can be sent to podcast at postatomichorror.com. An on-air response is guaranteed. 